good morning. I got my laptop, my iPad, everything but paper. Uh, my sons this morning told me, hey, shouldn't you print out your, your notes in case anything happens? I'm like, just go sit down somewhere. Let me, <laughs> let me, let me figure this thing out. Um, but, but good morning, guys. Thank you so much uh, for the opportunity. It really actually felt like Caleb was actually here. Um, it was very interesting to see him as he's on the screen there. I don't know if you guys are used to that, but that was pretty cool. Um, well, good morning. Well, I keep saying good morning. Good afternoon. Um, again, my name is Mello. I'm encouraged to, to be with you guys and to, to really just get the next few moments to spend together um, as we continue the Advent journey and, um, and navigate through the scriptures and reflect on uh, really the, the arrival and the, the coming of the Messiah. And, and, and for those of us who have put our trust in Jesus, um, man, we await his return uh, with eager expectation. So I'm just going to pray that God would, would meet us in this very moment, that he would help me as I communicate his word, and uh, that he would open our minds to understand his word uh, a bit more than we might have um, any other time. And so let's just invite him right now into this moment. Father, uh, we're so thankful uh, that you, you love, us, love us enough, Father, to give us your word. Um, Lord, we're, we're so dependent on every word that comes uh, from you, Father. And so I just ask in this moment, Holy Spirit, that you would... Um, open our hearts, uh, give us uh, a, rec a receptivity of your spirit uh, that we would be, um, Lord, just, just uh, have a deeper awareness of who you are and how you're at work in our lives. And to that end, Father, we pray as a church together and say, amen. Well, I'm going to say something right now that um, I, I think is going to come as a shock to many of us, um, because once I, I share this, you might begin to wonder if I, I'm some kind of a psychic or some mind reader. Um, um, I'm not a prophet. Um, I'm just going to throw that out there. At least I don't think I'm a prophet. Uh, but you're going to probably be wondering, how could Mello know this kind of information? Uh, was he in some secret meeting with Caleb or something? I promise you I didn't hear anything from Caleb. But um, this might really surprise some of you here. Um, you ready for it? Here, here's the statement. 2020 was a tough year, is a tough year. I mean, did, did I catch anybody by surprise in saying that? Um, uh, I think many, many of us might know or we might find ourselves really in a place where we would probably consider 2020 um, maybe even honestly the, the worst year that we've had, that we can remember. Uh, that, that might not be everybody's story, but maybe you know of people that have that story, that they legitimately feel that with all of the, the, the loss and the pain and the, um, the things that they were hoping for and expecting to gain that did not arrive, uh, that, man, 2020 was really, really tough for them. Um, I, I want to encourage us today uh, by God's word that regardless of whether you find yourself in that space of, man, 2020 was a tough year or is the worst year ever, I really want to encourage us with a story and really a person that Luke introduces us to um, in chapter 2. Um, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up your Bibles and, um, or your Bible app. Meet me in Luke chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 22. Once you've found it, if your legs are still working this morning or this afternoon, praise God, go ahead and stand up for the reading of God's Word together as we you know, revere Him and His Word. I'm going to begin in verse 22. And um, the scripture reads, And when the time came for the purification, according to the law of Moses, 
they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of two turtle doves or a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Uh, Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all people a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. I want to look again real quick at verse 25. It says, now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was a righteous and devout man waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Amen. You may be seated. And and it's really that verse there that, that leads me to want to ask the question in the season that we find ourselves in today, what are we waiting for? What are you waiting for? Now, when I ask that question, I'm not asking it in a sense that I'm telling you to hurry up and do something already. Sometimes when we, when we ask that question to someone, whether we're driving in our car and, and somebody's getting in the way or they're not moving along or maybe we're in a long line, we might be asking, what are you waiting for? I'm not asking it in that sense. When I ask, what are you waiting for? I'm literally asking a question, not trying to tell you something. And I don't know about what you're waiting for in this season of life, but I believe that we will do well to consider a few lessons that we're going to kind of spend some time learning from Luke today uh, as he introduces us to, to Simeon. Now, we really don't know much about Simeon. But the truth is, everything that we know about Simeon is really all that there really needs to be known about him. Uh, As much as we can tell, Simeon's not a super popular person in the text. Uh, He's not uh, one of the people with a lot of influence, as far as we're aware. He certainly isn't the first person that comes to mind when you're thinking about uh, main characters that played a role in the birth of Jesus. Uh, Simeon, uh, Simeon is only mentioned in Luke's Gospel and we only get to, hear, uh, get to hear from him really 10 verses, and then he just disappears. Um, though not much is said about Simeon, this, there's, there's much that we can learn from who Simeon is pointing us to. We meet Simeon 40 days after the birth of Jesus. The reason for the gap of time is because uh, Mary had to undergo a process of purification because Jesus had been born, and in accordance with God's law, there were some specific instructions of purification that any woman who's, as we read, who uh, uh, gives birth to a male child, and if a male child opens the womb for the first time, they have to go through a process. It's found in Leviticus chapter 12, uh, where the Lord speaks to the people and, and declares the law and says, if a woman conceives and bears a male child, she's unclean for seven days. And so she's unclean for seven days. On the eighth day, you have to 
have your son circumcised. And then she's going to continue for 33 days in kind of that unpure state or condition. And then she's not allowed to touch anything holy or really come anywhere near the sanctuary until her days of purification is complete. And so we really shouldn't be surprised, by the way, that Mary's actually following all of these uh, 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 requirements or um, uh, customs of the law. Uh, because look at how Mary defines herself when Gabriel enter, uh, declares kind of the good news of Jesus coming to, him, uh, to her, um, that, this new, that this child from the Holy Spirit is going to be uh, conceived in her. She's wondering, well, I'm a virgin. And he says, don't worry about it. The Spirit of God will be upon you. And look at what she says about herself in Luke chapter 1. I'm just going to read it real quick. Verse 38, it says, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord, Mary says. Let it be to me according to your word. Mary is a servant of God. And so the days of purification were over for her. And, and this is basically where we find them in the text at verse 22, where uh, the time of purification came according to the law of Moses. They brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. This is found in Exodus chapter 13. And then there's to, to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, a very interesting side note is that uh, Luke intentionally makes sure that he includes this piece of detail in there as far as what Mary and Joseph offer. Uh, because the, the law originally communicates that you have to provide a one-year-old lamb or a burnt offering um, for a burnt offering, and then a pigeon or a turtle dove for your sin offering. And so if you could not afford to, uh, to have a lamb, because lambs are expensive, um, then you can actually just give two turtle doves, one for the burnt offering and then the other one for the sin offering. So what this tells us um, about Mary and Joseph in this moment is that they're poor. They actually don't have enough resources to even provide the full uh, sacrifice or the, uh, the offering that's needed to, for the priest to provide the atonement. So they get to exercise that, that clause in the law that if you're um, poor and you can't afford it, you can just give two, two turtle doves. And doves were really the, the, the cheapest thing you can get. And so the Savior of the world is born into poverty. One thing out the gate that I can relate to Jesus with um, as a human being, right? So he, they're dedicating their child to the Lord, and there, there comes Simeon, pulls up on them, at the, on the six-week-old Jesus, and he wants to hold and touch and, 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 and look at Jesus. Um, and, and by the way, you've got you to gotta picture what's really happening here. You have a scene. Just, just imagine the craziness of what's going on for Mary and Joseph. They're, they're teenagers. They're, um, they're in the temple, which is crazy crowded this time. And, and there's people going all throughout it, probably thousands of people throughout that day, going in and out of the temple. And then get, uh, Simeon, who is likely an older gentleman, and we'll get to why we, we think that later on, but he spots them out um, by the leading of the Holy Spirit, and he kind of begins to have their divine triple date. He, he grabs the baby, he holds them. Um, and by the way, if you have kids, I have three kids. Um, if you're like me, you, you get a little paranoid people want to touch your baby. I mean, Jesus is six weeks old, and, and Simeon just grabs the baby, from what we can tell. 
And so uh, if you're like me, you're probably, if it's the first child, all the other kids, you kind of just let, the, you can just drop them in, whatever, it doesn't matter. But for the first child, you kind of want to make sure that, you know, people are, are very careful. You, you, you want to feel like you know that person before you're comfortable with letting your child go with them. Um, but, the, but verse 27 tells us that the spirit, uh, uh, he, Simeon came into the temple by the leading of the Holy Spirit. And when the parents brought in the child to Jesus uh, to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God, um, which, by the way, nothing in there communicates anything about hand sanitizer or masks. And so uh, Mary had great faith, and Simeon didn't care. Um, we don't know much about Simeon, but from what we can gather from the text, there's three things we can, we can really learn or find on Simeon's LinkedIn profile that really tells us everything that we need to know about him. Uh, Luke tells us that Simeon was righteous, devout, and that the Holy Spirit was upon him. Let me encourage us today, church, that if all that can be said about you is that you're righteous and that you're devout and that the Holy Spirit is with you, nothing else really needs to be said about you. You're living a life that is pleasing to the Lord. The Bible describes Simeon as righteous, devout, the Holy Spirit was with him, but what else do we know about him? Luke tells us that the Holy Spirit revealed to Simeon that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. This means that from the very moment that he received that message, all the way up to the point where he actually meets these two teenagers here, Simeon has been waiting. Now, I know a couple weeks ago, uh, you guys spent some time considering the life of Anna and how she waited on God and trusted on his promises and, and his track record, even in the midst of the sorrow of the loss of her husband and um, the experience of feeling God's silence. I want to remind us today that waiting is, is really a natural way of life. And in fact, if you're a Christian, then you know that waiting is actually the very posture of the Christian life. We, we wait on God to answer our prayers. We, we wait on God to help us in our times of need. We, we wait on God to reconcile relationships with friends and families and even in the church. We, we wait on God to work out all things for our good. We wait on God to make a way out of no way. We are always waiting on God. Waiting is nothing new for us, but can I, can I confess something this morning? Waiting is hard. I, maybe, maybe you've been a believer a little bit longer than I have, and so for you, you love to wait. Waiting for me is, is very tough. I'm not going to lie. I, I see uh, uh, just really my, 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 my sinful nature poke its head out anytime I have, I'm given the opportunity to wait. It's very tough. We don't like to wait. We, we live in a world where whatever we want to buy, we can get them, get that item or whatever it is much quicker than we could have ever gotten them in previous generations. Uh, Amazon has same-day delivery. Phones have face IDs, so you don't have to be burdened with the incredibly long process of putting in your four-digit passcode. Uh, just the other day, my boys, Malachi and Josiah here, uh, they're, they're, they're used to watching shows on Netflix, and they just so happen to have the, the television on live TV, and they're absolutely confused. 
because they're just not sure how they can, like, why can't they skip the commercials? So pray for them. Um, that was the worst 35 seconds of their life. Uh, just be, remember them in your prayers. But we simply don't like waiting. Uh, the reality is that we want what we want when we want it, and we want it now. We don't like to wait. But this is why Simeon's story is, is really relevant to us in 2020 and really in the Advent season and in the Christmas season. It's because just like Simeon, or just like Anna, Simeon has likely waited a very long time. Why is Simeon waiting? Very simple answer. Because the Holy Spirit told him that he would not die until he saw the Christ. And so Simeon is waiting so he can see the fulfillment of that which the Holy Spirit has revealed to him. Simeon is waiting because he actually believes that God is going to do exactly what he said he would do. Simeon is, Simeon is waiting because he believed that God is a way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. Way before that song ever came out, Simeon believed that. And like Simeon, I mean, I'm sorry, like Anna, Simeon knows his father's promises, remember, and his track record. And so the idea of waiting in this text is, is not so much that Simeon is, is passively kind of kicking back and, hey, look, if God, if God wants me, he knows where to find me. That's not the waiting we're talking about. Waiting involves longing and, and, and looking for and seeking like a bride waiting to see her groom. Two, two things involved in waiting that we can at least remember uh, to help us in our times where God gives us opportunities to wait for him. Number one, believing um, or two, uh, two things that we believing that God can, can and will do what he says he want to do. We, we want to make sure that in our waiting, we're believing that God can and will do what he says he's going to do. And number two, longing for and eagerly desiring to see God is, the, is kind of the, 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 the attribute that we should be walking in in our waiting. We should be believing God and longing for him, not just sitting around and just, hey, look, he knows where I am. So we understand why Simeon was waiting. But what exactly is Simeon waiting for? Uh, verse 25 tells us that Simeon was waiting for the consolation of Israel. What's the consolation, consolation of Israel? Well, the consolation, uh, consolation in and of itself, just that word, is, is really just comfort to someone in a time of deep sorrow or grief. I don't know if you've ever tried to attempt someone who was, who, who needed to, like, if you wanted to console someone who was down. Um, it's kind of tough to do. You, you, you want to make sure that you don't say the wrong thing. You're, you're not sure if, you know, you're going to just make it worse by all of your attempts to try to, you know, be kind to them. It, it can be tough. Uh, sometimes they, they really just want someone to just be there, be a good friend. And, and sometimes we're helpful. Sometimes we're not. Um, we can try to console people. Um, but we're not always successful in that. In these days, the rabbis would refer to the Messiah as the great comforter. And so, so this is where the word uh, consolation comes from. God is the God of consolation. And so the Messiah was seen as the God of comfort. And so people like Zechariah, Elizabeth, Anna, Simeon, they were all servants of God who were looking for the Messiah, 
the consolation of Israel, the comforter of Israel, who would fulfill the promises of the Abrahamic covenant, the Davidic covenant, even the new covenant, after years and years of, of foreign uh, oppression and, 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 and um, woes, uh, the comforter would come in, destroying the enemies of those who, he, that, who belonged to him and removing her distresses, fulfilling all his promises and bringing about salvation and inaugurating God's kingdom as he laid it all out in Isaiah chapters 25 and 40 and 57. It's all over. I want us to look at a chapter in um, Isaiah, uh, a verse in Isaiah 40. It says, uh, Isaiah, verse four, uh, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 1, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended and that her iniquity is pardoned. Church, do you, do you have or do you know anyone with the ability to provide this kind of comfort? Is there anyone that you know that, that can provide the pardon of sin? Simeon was holding that baby Jesus in the temple, and it was almost like God was holding Simeon in the same way that Simeon was holding Jesus. That Simeon was uh, comforted by the tender love of God, and he acknowledges that, um, that, that God has actually seen uh, seen him and has been true to his word and has fulfilled his promises to Israel. He's so comforted that Luke chapter 2 verse 28 through 25 tells us that he took him up in his arms. He blessed God and says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. Simeon is essentially saying, all right, I can go home now. I've got what I've been looking for. I've got what I've been waiting for. And if you look at verse 30, he says, For my eyes have seen your salvation. Jesus is the consolation of Israel, and Simeon is, is literally holding his Savior in his hands. But don't miss the next few verses after that, 31 through 32, or you might end up counting yourself out of the text if you're here today and you're not a Jew, the consolation of Israel is offered to all people. Verse 30 says, For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for the revelation to, uh, for revelation to, to the Gentiles and for the glory to your people Israel. Church, what Simon or Simeon is declaring is that the salvation that Jesus brings which is, light to the, uh, which, is, uh, uh, which is light to the Gentiles and glory to the Israel. The salvation that Jesus brings, the Jews already had a divine revelation, but they were still waiting for the manifestation of the glory aspect that God has promised. Simeon is declaring that Jesus is the consolation of Israel. John chapter 1, verses 9 through 12, you don't have to turn there, but John says that true light, which gives light to Everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was, not, uh, was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, to all who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. 
So God's consolation shines a light of Christ, not only for Israel, but also for the Gentiles. So, so church, hear, hear, hear this. If we can acknowledge that all people are made in the image of God, and, and that sin entered the story of humanity through our first parents, Adam and Eve, and we can acknowledge that all people were born into this world with the same fallen nature as our first parents, because just like a cat produces a cat and a dog produces a dog, sinners produce sinners. If we can acknowledge that, and by the way, this is the reason for that purification process. You're, you're bringing in another sinner into the world. That was, the, that was a way for God to really radically help you remember and to, and to recognize that sinners produce other sinners. If we can acknowledge all these things, acknowledge that all of us fall short of the glory of God, acknowledge that all people are deserving of the penalty of sin, which is the wrath of God, that all people are affected by the power of sin in this world, and that all people are surrounded by the presence of sin in this world, then we should not be surprised God has always had in mind to not only be the consolation of Israel, but to offer his consolation to all those who would receive him. This is why, Jesus gives the, this is why when Jesus gives the great commission to his disciples, he, he tells them to go and make disciples of all nations, because the gospel is an all nations gospel. And so, as we consider the craziness of 2020, um, from pandemic to, to, to the politics, to the racial tensions, to loss of jobs and economic distress, loss of lives, um, I want to ask the same question that I asked from the beginning. What are you waiting for? What are you looking for? What is your heart longing for? that you believe will bring about the cons- some kind of consolation in this season. I- I've seen a bunch of 2020 memes this year um, really expressing in different ways why we- we're just done with 2020 already. Let's just, let's just move on. Is there a skip button that we can click and just get to 2021? Um, I- it's to the point where I don't know how you guys did this, but people have wanted to skip November, like Thanksgiving altogether, and get straight to... Christmas in October. This is crazy. I don't know what you're looking for in this season, but sadly, the Christmas season, kind of that month of December, is really hands down the most likely season where idols of our culture and even idols in our own hearts begin to reveal themselves the most. Have you ever thought this to yourself? All I need is for this or that to happen and then I'll finally be good. I'll finally be satisfied. All I need to do is just get this, I just need to get this one job over here because they'll give me just this, uh, I'm not even asking for too much, just a little bit more income here, and then I won't be complaining anymore. All I need is to finally be in this or that relationship with this or that person, and then finally I'll be satisfied. All we need is the right president in office, and then the world will finally be able to start looking the way God wants this place to look. Or, or maybe it's simply, look, all we need to do is hurry up and get out of 2020. Let's just make it past 2020, and we'll finally be able to get back to life as uh, normal again. D- do you ever find yourself thinking and asking or feeling these kinds of questions? I do. 
Even recently, the, the Lord has kind of shown me how easy it is for me to wrongly believe that something that this world can offer me will actually satisfy. As you know, I'm a church planner, and we're, we're getting ready to plant a church over in Apopka um, next year. So one of the first things that I wanted to do earlier this year is put my house on the market and, and get this thing sold. So I moved in with the in-laws, I'm, you know, and I'm a real estate agent as well. So you would imagine that you know, that's going to be a very smooth sailing process for me because it's my house. I don't have, you don't have, I don't have to go con, you know, consulting with people and getting their thoughts. It's our decision, right? Wrong. I'm not exaggerating, but I can tell you now, out of all the homes ever I've sold, my situation was literally the worst possible um, real estate transaction ever. I had the title company were confused and weren't even sure if they wanted to continue. I had appraisers not wanting to appraise the property. I had um, sellers. The sellers were in uh, incredible financial uh, uh, um, difficulty, and so we really couldn't negotiate as much as we would like to because that would really put them in a very, very bad situation. Okay, fine. We end up moving into, we end up closing on the house after six or seven, is it eight months? Eight months. Yeah, eight months. And then we got to renovate this thing. And again, we're talking months and months. So we close in August and we're still not in this house yet. Okay. The good, good news, we're moving in next week. The house is not done yet, but we're, we're, we're going to, hey, ready or not, we're coming in. But it was literally one of the most stressful, frustrating, uh, just times. It, it, was, it was taking way too long. There were so many things that uh, went wrong, and, and there were just things that were just so confusing. It has never happened in any other situation. I'm selling other people's houses left and right, and I can't even get myself into a place to stay, and, and we're kind of living in, shacked up in a, in, in a room. And the kids are like piled up in another space. Incredibly um, tiring and frustrating. And so the resounding gong for my wife and I has always just kind of been recently like, man, the, the main thing we need right now is, is we just get into, into this house, finally just get this house done, then our stress will kind of go away. Now, in one sense, that's, that's true, right? Finally getting to move into the house is going to really relieve uh, some burdens, but we don't need our circumstances to actually change before we can have the joy that Simeon had when he finally saw the consolation of Israel. I don't even know if you noticed this, but Simeon's circumstances didn't even change, yet he declares that he can now depart in peace. Well, how do you know? I mean, you, 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 know, just, you, just, you just met the consolation of Israel. I mean, wh why are you so joyful? He's so joyful that he's, again, he's not just happy and he's ready to go and live a particular life. He's ready to go and, and, and be with God now. He's gotten everything he needed once he was able to see the salvation of the Lord, see God's promises come to fruition. Simeon can be joyful because the source of his consolation is not just what the Messiah can do for him and the people of Israel or really all who would believe in him, but his consolation is Jesus himself. And so, church, I want to encourage us today that we need to wait on God. Wait for God. Eagerly wait for him. Lamentations 325, 326, the Lord is good to those who wait for him, the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should quietly 
wait for the salvation of the Lord. But here's the reality. We don't like to wait. There's a theologian by the name of Blaise uh, Pascal. He says that there is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of each man which cannot be satisfied by any created thing, but only by God the Creator um, made known through Jesus Christ. John Calvin also said this, and, and this, is, this is really important for us to consider in times like, again, the Christmas season. He says this, that the human heart is a factory of idols. Every one of us is, from his mother's womb, an expert in inventing idols. What's interesting is that usually in the time of waiting is when I begin to see kind of those hidden source idols begin to poke its head. What's an idol? Keller gives us a really simple definition of this I think is helpful from his book, uh, Counterfeit Gods, and he describes idols this way. An idol is anything more important to you than God, anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God, anything that you seek to give you what only God can give. And I think about the statements that my wife and I were making. All we got to do is just get into this house, and and we'll be good. We we should examine ourselves and to really just, in, in those moments of waiting, examine ourselves Again, not that there's anything wrong with desiring things, right? We've heard the quote, there's nothing wrong with even having things. You just can't let your things have you. I I tend to agree with Calvin and and Keller here, but not necessarily because of their words. Jeremiah 17, verse 9, it says that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? The the problem when we're waiting is is that it's really in what we're believing while we're waiting. When we're waiting, we're often wrong, we often wrongly equate the waiting with wasting of time. Um, except for everybody that stays three hours to wait for Chick-fil-A at a Chick-fil-A line. Nobody complains about waiting there. We just wait and we don't complain about it. We get our chick I don't, I don't know how that works. But for the most part, we equate waiting with wasting time, which leads to us becoming, uh, like starting to wonder so, so we feel like it's wasting time, and now we're, we're kind of starting to wonder if, if God is really still for us, which leads to us now believing that maybe something might be wrong. I might have done something. Maybe something's wrong with, with me. Maybe I've done something wrong, and, and this is punishment for that. Or that, we've done, uh, um, or, or that feeling that something's wrong ends up leading to worrying. And, and again, that's where in that sequence of waiting, we, we begin to see idols show their head. But Simeon might not have had a long resume, and though we only have 10 verses that we can learn from, really he understood what it meant to wait. So I asked the question again, what are you waiting for? That was 15 seconds of waiting, and it felt awkward. <laughs> Automatically, we're already thinking something's wrong. Oh, he must have lost his place. Oh, poor guy. <laughs> Look how waiting, it automatically has us thinking that something is wrong or something's not right. 
It makes us feel so uncomfortable. You, you guys are feeling sorry for me. Somebody just, I felt someone praying for me, like, Lord, help him. <laughs> we don't like to wait, but what is God teaching us in our waiting? What are you waiting for? Have you believed the gospel? Have you trusted Christ in such a way that you've been living your life the way Peter calls us to in, in 1 Peter chapter 1? He says in verse 1, uh, I'm sorry, verse 13, set your hope fully on the grace that is coming to you at the revelation of Christ. That's what Simeon did. That's what Simeon has been doing. Have you acknowledged that there is nothing or anyone in this world that could ever fulfill or satisfy your deepest longing but God alone? Have you repented of your sins and turned to Jesus as your Lord and Savior, trusting in the righteousness of God and his work of redemption on your behalf, not your own work? If not, talk to a friend or a pastor or a family member or someone who loves Jesus and would love to tell you, about what he's done for them or, and, and really what he, he's done for all of us who believe. For, for those of us who have put our hope in Jesus and have believed in the consolation of Israel, um, I'd like to close with a, a passage that really just reminds us of what Advent and, and the Christmas season is really about for us, regardless of what happens in 2021 or 22, or 23, or any other uh, circumstance that we might find ourselves in. Uh, you can turn to uh, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 26 through 28. I'm going to read this text here and, and close in prayer. Um, but as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, he will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. This is the moment that Simeon felt. This is, this is, the, this is that level of, this is that, that joy that he he, he felt in that moment when he saw the coming, the, the, the arrival of Jesus. This is really what we learned about a couple of weeks ago in, in Anna's life, where it says that she waited for the redemption of Israel, and she told everyone she knew. Again, circumstances, we have no recollection that they've changed in any way, shape, or form. But yet there was a joy as she trusted in the consolation of Israel. And, and we can have that same longing regardless of our scenario, regardless of the context, um, because in our affliction, God is our ultimate comfort. Not to change things, although he can and he may, but ultimately to point us to who he is and to his second arrival. On that note, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your, uh, your grace and, and just the hope that you've given us to know that you are coming back again. Uh, Lord, we're just so grateful to, to hear stories of, of men and women of great faith, and we're thankful for the um, little bit that we get to receive from the story of Simeon and to hear his waiting, his patience, his longing and looking for the consolation of Israel. I pray this morning 
that as you um, cover us this week, as you are with us throughout the rest of our days, God, that you would remind us and continue to point our hearts uh, to the only one that can fulfill our greatest desire, which is Jesus. We love you, Father. We're so thankful for your word. And all these things we pray in Jesus' name.